Welcome to Business with Beers. I am your host, Brian Beers. This is a podcast for business owners who want to scale their business to massively grow their income and contribution by investing in people, process, and technology. Today, I've got an awesome show with Dave Garcia. He is the founder and CEO of Scout Logic, which is a pre-employment background check company designed to improve the recruiter experience so that they can focus more on finding great talent. In this episode, we talk about what a leader should be looking for when performing background checks and how it can vary greatly depending on the industry and in the role. And while a lot of companies are going remote these days, when David founded Scout Logic in 2017, they intentionally made the decision to make it 100% remote. They now have over 100 employees split between the US and the Philippines. Dave has some great insights and tips and tools how to increase accountability, communication, and engagement with a remote team. And speaking of building that team, I want to tell you about an extraordinary offer from a company that I am currently using called My Outdesk. My Outdesk offers professional virtual assistant services, and they also happen to be rated the number one virtual assistant company by TechRadar with over 700 five-star reviews. I've got tons of friends and associates that are among the thousands of their satisfied customers. You know, I always get a lot of is- listeners asking questions about how do I scale while lowering my costs? You know, I use my Outdesk and I save 70% versus a traditional in-person hire. So for Business with Beers listeners, my Outdesk is offering a free double your business strategy session. Simply go to myoutdesk.com slash beers to schedule a call. And on this call, you'll work one-on-one with one of their business consultants to design an action strategy to hire and launch a virtual assistant into your business today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics covered in this podcast, check out brianbeers.com to sign up for my newsletter, delivering content directly to your inbox. Welcome to the show, David. Hi, thanks for having me on. Great. Well, this wouldn't be business with beers if I didn't ask you that me and you are at a bar there and uh, outside of Chicago, what would we be drinking? I, you know, I would probably have an IBC root beer. Uh, okay, that's great. I'm a, I'm a boring kind of guy and I love root beers and uh, IBC is my favorite. So Awesome. Fantastic. So if you could share your story about who, who you are and, and what you do, we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. My name is Dave Garcia. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Scout Logic. We're a pre-employment background check company. Um, kind of the broader story professionally is I, I have about 25 years of commercial leadership experience in all things, I would say, data and analytics, serving a number of industries over the course of my career from consumer products and retail. But obviously, uh, these days with uh, HR, uh, human capital and talent acquisition. Okay. Okay. So it's a background check background check company. How did you start it? What... what um... What was the reason behind that? Yeah. So my my last, I would say, big, big job operating role was working for the largest background check company in the industry, a company called First Advantage. Mm-hmm. And I uh, developed a love-hate relationship with the background check industry. The, the love part was recruiters are really great to work with. Um, background checks play an important societal role for us. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, everyone's got a budget for background checks, right? So it's not hard to convince someone to do that. It's more about why you. What I didn't like was kind of the trend in that industry was all about operational efficiency, kind of becoming a credit bureau. And that really got in the way of the societal reason for doing background checks, which is A, making sure the workplace is safe, and then B, getting people to work as fast as you can. And so I had left there and saw an opportunity to build a more services-oriented background check company that would really fulfill that purpose much better. Okay. And what are some of those main 
differentiators that kind of the philosophy that you run yours at? Yeah, the trend we saw in the industry was you were either trying to be as operationally efficient as possible and like be like a credit bureau. So you were like a nameless, faceless entity. So picture you, you're trying to get a job. You're probably really nervous, right? Like mm-hmm. sure. you really need that gig. And if there's a question on your background check or something doesn't look right, calling the 1-800 number and having some random person who has no interest in helping you, simply just doing as many calls mm-hmm. in one day as you can, that leads to a bad candidate or recruiter experience. On the other end, there, there's like a trend background check companies that they want to be SaaS software businesses, right? Mm-hmm. These great, great margins and great multiples and raised a lot of capital. But they're trying to take the human element out of it completely. And when you do that, that's really like all the pain comes in in the background check, you know, when, when there's a human that's required to help solve a problem. So at Scout Logic, we came up with the thesis of, well, what if we operated like a services firm? Maybe not as profitable as a SaaS business or as operationally as efficient as a credit bureau, but one that had dedicated staffing and service for recruiters. And so we were really an extension of their team working hand in hand with them to get people to work. And that's been a wildly successful value prop for us. Okay. So as a company, I have somebody that I, a human that I, that I work with as a kind of account manager and it's, yep. it's more kind of relationship-based. Is that the idea? And that's, and that account manager is actually your researcher as well. So they're actually know what it is, is going on in your business. They get to know your candidates, how you recruit in your culture. So instead of the background check company being kind of random entity out there, they are really designed to be an extension of your talent acquisition team, helping you find great talent for your company. Okay. And, and how do they help find it more than, or is that the recruiting job? And, and you're talking about once you kind of have them in place. It was such a great insight. So that's the recruiter's job, right? Yep. But if the recruiter gets slowed down because they're trying to, you know, ha- get a candidate to go take a drug test or because they can't get an employment verification done, that takes the recruiter away from doing their primary mm-hmm. purpose of finding great talent. Part of our value prop is we give recruiters time back so they can find great people for their companies. So they help with the the process to move someone along through the... They're the ones picking them up. The phone's saying, hey, you got to go get the drug test done or still waiting on that. Absolutely. You know, if the 80-20 rule applies in this industry, like many others, 80% of checks, there's no issues. They sail through. Mm-hmm. But the 20% have some hair on them. It's how do we how do we pick up the phone? Literally pick up the phone and call Brian to make sure he gets to go to the clinic. That's something very few other background check companies do. Yeah. Uh, let's say you had a job four years ago and they went out of business, right? Every other background check firm is going to mark that as unable to verify, which puts that work back on the recruiter. We don't do that. We work to get W-2s, verify old tax records with the candidate, work with you to get the verification done. So it's that above and beyond that has really set us apart. Okay. Now, how big is the company today? How long ago did you start it? Yep. So we started in mid-2017. Uh, we uh, have uh, close to 300 clients at this point. Uh, about two-thirds of our clients are actually in the staffing and recruiting industry. They're the biggest consumers of background checks, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. They also have a need for speed and service. And given that's in our wheelhouse, that's been a great fit for us. Okay. So staffing companies or other large companies that do a lot of hiring. Exactly. Like your typical customer. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, so let's talk about just I don't know the, the the theory or some of the strategy maybe around background checks. Like, you know, I, I I know it highly depends on your industry, right? So, you know, I'm in I own some some automotive repair shops. We own a yeah. truck washing business, right? So, awesome. you know, a lot of guys to be hired to you know wash trucks, you know, and the mechanics, you know, sometimes don't have the the best background. 
And it's kind of a decision on our part to say, hey, like, you know, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Um, and I, and obviously it, it, it highly, highly depends on, on what role they're doing, right? Are they customer facing? Are they working with cash, right? Are they, you know, washing trucks? Um, and so, I don't know, maybe you could speak to a little bit about some of your experience and the different ways that people go about deciding kind of what, what's acceptable on a background check and, and what's not. Well, I think, you know, the kind of the use case and job role, it, to your point, is probably the one that most people use, right? Are, are they going to be around vulnerable populations, access to cash, access to vehicles, and kind of building some criteria around that? Obviously, with, you know, EEOC guidelines, you know, taking individual consideration into account for everyone you talk to is really important as you make a decision leveraging background check data. But, you know, obviously, uh, you know, people need to work. Um, you know, re- recidivism, I'm sorry, I always butcher that word, uh, is a problem. And if someone has a job, that's going to help reduce that rate, right? And so yeah. what we've seen a lot of clients and companies do is use background checks almost as a truth test, which is, hey, if the candidate is upfront and honest about whatever has gone on in their past and discloses that and it matches the background check, more often than not, again, depending on the use case, they will they will hire them, right, and give them an opportunity. Um, the, the other part of that, Brian, is uh, I, in case you haven't noticed, we have a talent shortage uh, here in the United States. This is true. Yeah, yep. As well, yeah. so certainly, I think that uh, the uh, the aperture has gotten a little bigger when it comes to hiring people who may have some prior criminal convictions, but irregardless, that's why I think it's always so important to kind of hear the full story and get the full context and and use the background check as just a means to really validate what a candidate is saying so we can get people to work. Yep. Yeah, I think that's true. And that's what we do too. We we asked, you know, is is there yeah. you know anything in the background that we'd find, right? And usually like they are upfront, they are honest about it. And you know, we we know that people make mistakes and you know we want to give them a second chance. Once again, it all depends you know, on a number of factors, how we look at it, you know, how often an, an event is happening and how recent is an event, right? When someone's 20 years old, they make a mistake, you know, now they're in their thirties and we're probably not going to hold it against them for the most part. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I have a former client, I can't mention, but they had a, a, a felony hire, ex-felon hiring program, right? And what they found was uh, for those felons who were given an opportunity, their employee retention rates were substantially higher than their general population. So they could, you know, people who have had some history can still make great, you know, better than average employees when it comes to a retention perspective. Yep. Yes, I think it's important as a leader just to, you know, it's not a binary kind of decision of yes or no, they have a background, right? But it's what it is, what the situation is. And like you said, is, is, is you know, do you need that employee? And, uh, and like I said, the aperture gets... Uh, wider uh, yep. right now, at least. So um, great. So let's talk about your team a little bit. From what I understand, you've kind of built it on, on a remote level. Um, uh, How did you build your company? What does it look like today? Well, here, here's the deal. If you decide to build a service-oriented business, you need to have great people and a great culture to execute on that, on that every day, right? So in some regards, we're a tech-enabled service. Obviously, we use technology tools to you know, process background checks and collect things from candidates. But like I said, where our secret sauce comes in is the 20% of checks that have a problem. So we need awesome people mm-hmm. to service that every day. When we started the business, we kind of had, I would call it like the... Uh, the Northern California vision of we're going to have this really cool office. It's going to have cucumber water and strawberry infused water and bean bags. And it's going to be amazing. 
And, and what we found is if you do that, you're really limiting your geographic talent to the, you know, whatever hour radius, even then that's probably too big around your office. And that just was too small of a talent pool for us to find awesome people to deliver that service value model for us. So this is again, pre-COVID, mid-17, we're like, there's enough tools and infrastructure in place today where should we try and do this remotely? Now, we do have a small office for security reasons on some data we access, but like 99% of our employees are all remote. And we have been that way on that journey. We're just about to pass 100 employees. And, you know, we've learned a lot of lessons along the way in terms of how do you build a remote culture with people, not just all over the United States, but for us all over the world to deliver against that Scout Logic service model. Okay. So 100 employees, how, how many are US-based versus how many are in uh, well, Probably half and half, roughly. Okay. A- any specific country that you like to... We love the Philippines. Was... We have a ton of Filipino employees. Yep. Awesome culture, awesome country, awesome people. Yep. It's fantastic. Yeah, we have uh, eight, eight that work for us uh, from the Philippines. And yeah, the same. Yeah. same. It's great. Um, so for somebody looking to build a remote team, let's let's talk about, I guess, what, were, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had uh, learnings along the way over the last four years uh, from doing that? So, so the first thing I'd recommend is making sure your leadership team and company aligns on what type of culture it is that you're trying to build. And, and I know it sounds cheesy, but kind of some of those discussions on what do we believe, what are our core values, and kind of laying that down and you know, maybe not stone, but close to it. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows, hey, this is what we're going to build. And it, it, you know, the first, I would say 10 to 15 employees, it was relatively easy to execute on that culture because we all knew each other, right? It was a small team, even though we were all over the US, you know, we, we all were engaging like this. And there were, there were a few of us uh, where we could really hold each other accountable to that. Where the hard part comes in is when you hit hyper growth, which, which we really have over the past two years. And I think probably 70% of our employees have joined in the last two years. So now it's about how do you seed people all across your organization who have that kind of cultural DNA of Scout Logic to make sure that everybody looks at our business the same way we want them to, so they're serving our end clients. And for us, what we have found is, you know, everything from buddy up mentorships, encouraging people to speak up, but really trying to hold each other accountable, both at a leadership level and across all levels of the company to kind of reinforce those values that we have. Okay. Yeah. So accountability, that's another thing on my list to talk about. So we can go into that now. So how do you, how do you create accountability in remote tasks? You know, some of the challenges we have is, you know, it's having visibility into somebody's work. Right. Yep. And the the idea that sometimes, you know, it's a training issue, but sometimes they think they know what they're doing, but then they're not actually doing what we want them to do. And, you know, then you know, the work kind of suffers. So how do you go about then creating accountability on in your company? Well, so there are several ways. But the first the first great thing everybody who has who works remote now is there is so much tech out there. Mm-hmm. to enable you to both kind of monitor activity, but but more importantly, provide coaching. So, and I'm also just kind of transparency. I'm a total data geek. I probably drive everybody nuts in my company. So, so we, uh, 
what we do at Scout Logic is from an economy perspective, everybody and pretty much every function our company has a set of KPIs that are relatively easy for us to monitor from an, an automated basis, right? So for our, our researchers, it's kind of their quality metrics, how many reports they get done. For our salespeople, it's their daily activities and pipeline and blah, 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 right? But that's kind of just like the basic stuff. Um, that we all use and we publicize it across the company, right? So nobody wants to be that person. But the culture that we really try to build at Scout Logic is if you are struggling, it's not about embarrassing you. It's about raising your hand and being like, hey, I'm struggling with this issue, which we can all see, help, help me get better. Mm-hmm. And, and that data has really helped us kind of focus in on individuals who, for whatever reason, need additional training, support, experiences, for them to be successful. Um, it sounds super cheesy, Brian, but one of our kind of core families, the core statements about Skylogic is we're a family. And I, and I know in a cynical world today, that doesn't always resonate, but for us, it really does. And kind of what we view as family members is, A, we, we hold each other accountable to certain standards, but mm-hmm. we also help each other. And, and because of that, you know, we've had virtually no employee turnover. Um, our culture AMP scores are in the mid 90s, which is great for our benchmark in our space. Um, but it's because all that accountability data we use, we use it to help each other get better. Yep. Okay. So if someone's struggling in a certain area instead of ridicule or, or embarrassment, it's it's coaching and how can we help you kind yeah. of start to hit these metrics and uh, the standards that we want out of you. Uh, exactly. That's great. So t- let's talk about the, the the training process then. So you bring on somebody new. What does it look like? How do you kind of create that engagement and get them, build the relationship and kind of get them as part of that culture? Um, uh, so so for anybody who's going through hypergrowth, onboarding and training, I think is probably the top of my agenda, which sounds really weird for a CEO. You would think it's all about growth, but growth hasn't been our issue. It has been enough awesome people to satisfy and yep. over deliver for the clients we have. So um, we made a, an investment early on in a chief people officer, a woman named Patty Santos, who's amazing, who really designed an onboarding program for us, which on the research side of our house, which is where we make most of our hires, is an intensive three-month process that has a mixture of both technical and culture training, along with a buddy-up process to integrate people into kind of the social fabric of the company. So, you know, obviously background checks, there's a lot of, you know, regulatory work around that, right? So there's a technical kind of learning curve we need to get people at, and we use a variety of learning management systems and tools and certifications to get that going on. But then really, it's also about how do you get them integrated to the team? How do you introduce them to people cross-functionally across the business? You know, one thing we do, again, it sounds so simple, but it makes such a difference, is we have virtual coffees. Uh, You Mm -hmm. do a virtual coffee once a month, and, and Patty and our team organize it so it's with different people at different levels all across the company. So we all get to know each other, even though, you know, we're literally thousands of miles away from each other. Okay. Uh, what Do you have daily meetings as well? Or did the teams have kind of daily check-ins and accountability? So, uh, on our research side, uh, all of our research teams do a daily stand-up first thing in the morning. That's because we're also obsessed about speed and quality at Skylogic. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at speed and quality metrics with, with their ops leaders every morning first thing. Um, our commercial folks tend to meet at least three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, looking at pipeline, you know, yep. campaign initiatives and all that. And then our leadership team meets once a week. 
And then we do an all company meeting every other week where essentially it's a tight half hour, but it's really talking about how are we doing? And we give a lot of visibility to everybody in the company about our performance, what's going well, where we're struggling. So everyone's on the same page and everyone's enrolled and trying to help us move forward. Okay. What are some tools, uh, tech, technical tools that you recommend people using that, that you have good experience using? Is it for communication and for video and, and all that? Yeah, I think that, you know, kind of the, the basics for us have worked well, right? Like, so Zoom and Google Hangouts are huge. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one of the way things I'm always reinforcing to people is like, do video. Like we have a three email rule or three text rule or three chat rule. If it's more than that, you yeah. have to like look yeah, at the yeah. other person. And I'll call, I get called out on that all the time, which people yeah. love to do. Um, the other tool that I really like that we've used is are twofold. One is called CultureAmp. I don't know if you're familiar with CultureAmp. No, it's an that? employee engagement platform. So in, in many ways, it's kind of like the traditional employee survey what makes their platform unique, though, is they, they will benchmark you anonymously, of course, to other either all companies or whoever you consider in your peer set. That's really helped us kind of laser in on areas that we needed to focus on relative to our peers. And that comparison has been really helpful. And then the other platform that's also been a game changer for us is we went full in on HubSpot a couple of years ago. Okay. And not just their marketing suite, but their CRM, software, sales, and marketing modules. So instead of like each department having their own software tool, we basically, in addition to our production system, run the entire business off of HubSpot. Okay, That solves a lot of problems and, and definitely helps us make remote work. Does that... So we use we use ClickUp, um, which is like similar to Asana or Monday kind of yep. task management. You can have recurring tasks and different yep. lists and assign to different people. Is that do you do a similar work in in HubSpot? We've we've looked at so HubSpot definitely has a task management system, but we haven't needed it. Um, we I know it sounds old fashioned. We use Google Sheets for some of our key initiatives and projects, and go from there. Um, but part of it, maybe what makes us different, maybe this is my management style is we have a pretty, like, other than there's like the day-to-day -day running of the business, right? We don't do too many more initiatives beyond that, maybe five a quarter, because what I have seen in prior lives is management goes initiative happy. And then we've got like, you know, 22 things we're trying to do. And we forget like, no, like our job within the days to get background checks done as quickly and accurately as possible, right? Yeah. And so perhaps because of that, we haven't needed a, a ClickUp tool. Okay. What about on the back office, like the accounting side of it? That's mainly where we use it, where it's recurring tasks, you know, reconciling bank accounts and all yeah. this daily recurring that sometimes like we feel that we need these like, you know, tasks because they're kind of, they're so repetitive and they forget to do something. It can have this chain of uh, facts. What do you, what, how do you yeah. manage kind of that workflow? So, so we use QuickBooks, but our finance leader, um, I think he uses actually Google Tasks, which actually I also use too, from a personal task basis. It just hasn't been a big issue mm. for us. But part of it, um, and again, this was some great advice I got early on is, you know, capital requirements aside, we definitely hired ahead of where we were as a business for great leaders, right? So I talked about our, our HR leader, Patty, our finance leader, Raymond. They both worked at, you know, substantially bigger companies than where we are even right mm -hmm. now yep. because we knew we were going to grow into that very quickly. And we wanted someone who could kind of knew the playbook to kind of get us there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. You know, hiring to, to build the company that you want to become, not necessarily the one you currently you are. are. Today. Yep. Exactly. Um, 
So one challenge, and I'm more similar data, like we're super into data and numbers and, and all these reports, is you know, how to keep it simple, right? Because like you can run all these complicated reports and all these KPIs and all this stuff, but and then you have this big like spreadsheet to people, and their eyes just kind of blur over, and they don't. It's know not actionable, right? They're like, "What do I right? do with so, it?" Yeah. So any any like strategy you found to to work to to how you can narrow it down to to keep it as simple as possible to, that align with like kind of the company goals. Um, to motivate people and you know show them how they're doing, it's, it's such a it's such a great question because I've been guilty of being one of those people who over dashboards in the past, mm, yeah. uh, and also again going back to my drive people nuts sometimes. So as a leadership team, I think we have nine KPIs that we pretty much focus across the whole company, and we have it's a it's a fierce debate if we ever decide to add a KPI. So individual leaders they may have some of their own, but as a business and as the CEO, I'm looking at roughly nine on a weekly basis. And then we design our report structure to meet that nine. So like those are the kind of the magic reports we really use to drive the business. Some of them are the, the obvious ones, right? From a financial perspective, mm -hmm. but you know, we look at NPS, employee retention, um, you know, the, the ones that really matter when it comes to what's going to really create enterprise value and also make sure our employees and our candidates are delighted. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, having nine or um, as many as, as as least as you need to, right? To exactly. Have scope. And then the other the other aspect is making them lead measures, right? Things that dictate other things versus that if you, if you only look at lag measures, then you know, we, we, A, you'd have a lot more you'd have to look at versus if you can identify, hey, what if we do these things good, we know everything else is, is going to follow. So. Spot on, right? If I, if I have good NPS scores and we have great NPS scores, it's got logic. I know my gross dollar retention stat is going to be fantastic, right? That's a great point. Yep. So, um, you know, as leaders and as we build companies, we all face kind of challenges and setbacks and, uh, you know, grow from those experiences. Has there any been throughout your career a challenge or, or a big, you know, learning experience that you had? As you well, the, the pandemic certainly was one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how so, that how that affect your company? What did you learn from it? Well, well I'll, I'll touch on that, and then I'll go back to it on a more personal basis. So I think on the on the pandemic piece, we had a, like a shock to our system for six weeks, and then we just got really fortunate. It's got logic for two reasons. One is we had some essential industry clients that by mid May in 2020, they they were probably were beyond where they were pre COVID. Um, to like, we already were doing remote. So like we yeah. didn't miss a beat there. That was just luck. And then, you know, because uh, we've gotten so many referrals in, like our new customer acquisition has been high. So, I mean, we grew a little over 200% during COVID, which was mm. uh, which is a great stat. And, and we've had a similar growth trajectory this year. But, you know, to your point on a more personal basis, I think before I kind of made more of the entrepreneurial leap, where, where I had some of my biggest personal setbacks is just when I had a vision to do something and I failed in my ability to convince others to come along with it. And in the corporate world, um, you know, obviously that's something you deal with every day, but it was a great way to build muscle um, because I think some people have this impression that when you start a company, everyone's just going to do whatever you say, right? And that, and your lab, that's just not true. So yeah. some of the muscle I had to build early on of how do we can kind of convince everyone to align on the vision or take their input on how to make it better has been really helpful for me now running a company. Uh, it's got logic. Because now you're taking some more feedback. Is, is that feedback, the change of the learning? En enrollment, uh, listening to others, uh, you know, not not whining and taking my toys home when I don't get my way. Um, 
you know, everybody at our company always laughs when, you know, I, I'll, I'll make a point saying, I didn't get my way on that, right? Like, you know, I got overruled and yeah. uh, making sure that everyone sees that I'm okay with that. Um, so, cause we want that culture of people feeling empowered to speak up and knowing that, it, that their, their point of view matters. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, what's the, what's the big goal? What's the vision? Where are you taking Scout Logic? So my co-founder and I, uh, Bill James uh, and I, we had worked in companies before that were oftentimes turnaround situations. Mm-hmm. And so, or, or, you know, the investors in the business were more concerned about financial economics than they were maybe customer or employee experience. And so when we were talking about starting Scout Logic together, one of the commitments we made to each other is um, we didn't have to, we didn't want to build a company where we were apologizing all the time. Like we wanted clients who loved working with us and were really delighted by what we did for them every day. And we wanted an employee community that felt the same way. So what's next for us is continuing to build on those two things um, as we get bigger. So, you know, where we're at now, both from a revenue size and an employee side, like we're doing great. Our NPS scores are awesome. Our culture AMP scores are awesome. But can we maintain that when we triple in size in the next yeah. 18 months? That's what's next for us is making sure we maintain that because I did a lot of apologizing at other companies I've worked at. And it's much not, it's a much nicer way to live not having to do that. Yeah. And one of the things that we've experienced, so our, our company went from about, uh, I don't know, 80 employees. So we, we bought uh, another company and we grew about 50%. Yeah. In you know in in a day and you know what we realized was a lot of the processes well kind of kind of broke to a degree because we you know they and they worked at a certain level but then as we you know fifty percent increased right we have all these more people and a lot of it's on the for us was on the back end side of it like you know the payroll and the HR oh, and just like totally. onboarding people and and what we found was a lot of them were then like people driven processes instead of being these systems and and having automation and so now we're experiencing, you know, we need a new payroll company, we need new, you know, health insurance that's now multi-state. Yeah. And we're but we're learning all this, all this stuff. But then obviously we're we're growing stronger and should have the ability then to continue to grow once this kind of new this new platform and level are built. Um but for us, part of it is like the org chart, right? And and we would have kind of multiple names under one thing. And you know, they say when two people you know, are accountable for something that no one's accountable for, totally. for something. And so that's what we're currently going through now is, is trying to restructure, you know, to say, Hey, this person's in charge of this and this person's in charge of that. And, um, then them having help versus kind of breaking it up into these separate market structures. So, um, absolutely. I guess for you guys, any, any advice or experience on that in terms of kind of the org chart and cause that's the org chart really then dictates how you kind of grow. Cause if it's, if it's not clear, I think that's where you lose, um, a lot of that that power and that structure versus if you have this nice pyramid, right? As the, the bottom gets bigger, um, it, it's stable. I, I'm smiling because we we have very very similar dynamics with our company. And so what we have done is we've used our org design like we do software releases. So we're in the middle of like Scout Logic 4.8. So okay. we we you know have a software program that we use. We're constantly, you know, at least once a quarter, kind of reviewing roles, responsibilities, and structures. And then annually, you know, it's Scout Logic 4.0. Next year it'll be Scout Logic 5.0 to kind of keep up with the growth trajectory that we have been on. And we kind of align it to, okay, so Scout Logic 5.0, this is what we want to accomplish, right? That's the strategy. 
What's the structure then that we need to deliver it on? And then we do a people assessment, right? Well, now that we have the structure that that's needed, where do we have, you know, gaps or openings from a people perspective that we need to fill in? Yeah. And have you brought in people that were at a higher, like as a higher level than the people you currently had? Like, cause the, you know, the role you needed, you couldn't promote from within, right? You had to go out and find somebody to overcome it. Yep. So, so obviously some of the two point on the back office stuff, we've tapped experts like that in HR and finance. So uh, we always laugh. Like I was our HR leader for the first 18 months. Uh, You know, I I got a lot of payroll fines (laughs) from, uh, from different States. Right. So, you know, we don't have it anymore. Um, But on kind of our core business processes, we've always actually tried to promote from within wherever we could. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, we made a really early investment in a chief operating officer guy's name is Carrie Schneider. Carrie's managed, you know, 2000 person organizations, you know, and we were at 20 for a long time. So, um, but now as we kind of fill in the structure underneath him, at least on our fulfillment side, we try to promote internally because they know our culture, you know, they, they kind of have that, that forward leaning, you know, candidate client centric approach that we want. Yep. Okay. Do you guys follow traction or any sort of similar like system? If you're familiar with that? no uh, or EOS there's a there's a book called traction in, in, in it they they talk about this thing called EOS entrepreneurial operating system and interesting he, he writes through this like like writing software you know you kind of have the software for your business and yeah. a lot of the things that you spoke of uh, align with what they have put together which is you know you create an org chart right and then yeah. on each one you have a person and they have a role and responsibility yeah. and you go this people analyzer and and through that you decide you know, what are the core values that you have? And does this person meet these core values, mm-hmm. you know, 80% of the time, 50%, whatever. Uh, and then, then ultimately you're deciding like, okay, we have the right person because they meet our core values. And then do they have the right role? Which means like, do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity yeah. to do it? Uh, and then they call that, you know, the right person in the right seat. And sometimes you have the right person, but they're in the wrong role. So then you yep. shift them around. Um, and so it, 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 it provides like a framework for people to follow. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're kind of scattered in, in all this stuff and trying to piece it together yourself. Um, so you should check uh, it out. It's the, called, it, the book's I'm called Traction. Check it out. The book's called Traction. From the sound of it, you guys are doing like 80% of it, but there could be a couple things in there that, you know, maybe give you, uh, give you some insight too. No, I, I totally agree. It sounds great. I, I will absolutely yeah, check that out. You would, so love, it. You. You would, you would yeah. love it. You would love it. So cool. Well, any... Um, any daily habits or, or processes that you kind of follow that you have kind of um, had success with over the years? So, so it's interesting also kind of the older you get, the, how you spend time during your day. So I would say the two, two things I do on a daily basis that have made me a much more effective leader is one, I do a daily morning meditation mm-hmm. before my day starts. So whatever your process is, I think meditating, connecting with something beyond yourself, reflecting and being grateful has been enormous for me. It just centers me before I start the day. And then the other is, and maybe this is like old man Dave, is exercise. Like exercise and moving in some form just about every day and functional fitness and stretching and all those old man habits um, have been huge for me as well. Earlier in my career, like not doing the meditation, running into my day, I could be a jerk for hours, not exercising. Like I had massive back issues that took me out for a few months at one point in my career. Like that, I just can't afford to have that happen now. So 
those two daily habits for me have been game changers. Yep. Yeah, that's great. And I think the the appreciation and the gratitude, I think sometimes, you know, I'm I'm working on that too. And it kind of, you know, as business owners and leaders, we we always want more, right? We want to grow the business, we want to make it bigger totally. and faster. And then we're critical of ourselves and maybe a little too critical of the people around us because you know we have these high expectations. I think sometimes having the uh the, the gratitude or appreciation say, hey, wait, just hit the pause button and you know, we we have this great company, we have, you know, obviously great yeah. people. You know, we're we're doing all these these cool things, and that uh, you know, while while these goals are, are great, we're going to continue working. At least you, you appreciate kind of what you got too, and and uh, I think it brings some more satisfaction to your life too, yeah. to not always be wanting more. Absolutely, and also kind of centering on what you know, my role is to serve, right? My role is to serve our candidates and to serve the people at Scout Logic, right? And it's not about serving Dave. And the more I can say grounded in that and focused on that you know, the, the better we will do as a business and the happier I will be as a person. Yep. That's great. Two more questions here to wrap up. Number one book, book recommendation. What are you reading right now? Yeah. Uh, I just finished rereading a prayer for Owen Meany, which I know is not business related it's at okay. all. It's, I don't know if you've read a prayer for me by John Irving. It's just an amazing story of, you know, faith versus destiny uh, some interesting commentary on sports. And obviously, I, John Irving is one of my favorite authors. So I, I just reread that. I'm sorry, it's not some That's cool, okay. insightful business book. That's okay. Uh, and what's it called again? Uh, Prayer for Owen Meany by uh, by John Irving. Okay, great. It's great. A classic. All right, we'll add that to the list here. And, and the final final question is, where can listeners connect, learn more about you and your company and, and get connected? Absolutely. So it's uh, scoutlogicscreening.com. Uh, or feel free to email me at david.garcia at scoutlogicstreaming.com or I'm the, I'm the David Garcia at LinkedIn who works at Scout Logic. And uh, any of those are a great way to find me. And I just, Brian, I just really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And um, yeah, have a, have a great day. Terrific. You too, sir. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Business with Beers. My goal with every episode is to help inspire you to reach new levels of success in your own business and life. So start taking action today. And in order to help this podcast reach more people, please rate, review, and share. To connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, check out the links in the show notes. And until next time, have a great day.